Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Hey you guys, welcome back for another episode of the I Believe podcast. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, and I have Ellie, who is here from us in Massachusetts with me, and uh, I will briefly introduce her in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, just housekeeping, couple announcements. Um, if you're tuning in live, please make sure to pay attention. So first thing is up, we have the I Believe seminars coming up on September tw- uh, September of this next month, and it's the 7th, 8th, and 9th if you're coming in person. That's taking place in Seattle, and if you are unable to travel that far, because I know some of us live on the East Coast and the West Coast and it's everywhere in between, or if you're out of the country, somewhere in the UK, um, Europe, really anywhere around the world, you can also tune in virtually. So please don't hesitate. You can register for that by heading to acureinsight.org slash education dash events. Um, that website is going to pull up a few different of our events, like our 5Ks. You could also register for one of those if there's one in your area. And you just go ahead and you hit register. You're going to register with your email, either the email you use for Zoom or you're going to register with just a regular old email that is not associated with the Zoom account. It does not matter. Just make sure that you go through and you select the type of ticket that you want, be it a virtual or an in-person ticket, and then just let us know if you're coming. We're super excited to see you guys in Seattle, um, so make sure to get that registration taken care of. Next up, if you haven't joined our registry, our goal is to have over a 1,000 people in our patient registry. This has been a de-identified... anonymous registry that you can submit your information about your diagnosis, what your history is, where you've lived, um, all of those different things. And it remains anonymous, but it's there so that we have researchers um, able to pull from this bank of information about patients and about where they live so that hopefully we can get closer and closer to finding, you know, what is the cause behind this for some groups of people. Um, September 23rd is our next 5K, so we have a little bit of a break for the next month or so, and September 23rd in Denver, Colorado is our 5K for that area. If you're in the Denver area, please tell your friends and family, get registered. You can go to lookingforacure.org to register for a race near you. Um, There are a host of other events happening coming up the rest of the year. There's one uh, in, I think, the um, LA area coming up in November, and then there's a Scottsdale one in November. And then in December, we've got our Houston and our Dallas-Fort Worth. And then again, all the way through you know, next year, we've even got a few events planned for Seattle, Minneapolis, uh, the Florida area. So make sure to get registered. If you're far away from those areas or it just doesn't work for you to show up, please consider making a donation or encouraging your family to make a donation, family, friends, community. Um, you can also walk with us virtually if you choose and you'll get a medal in the mail as well as a t-shirt of your choice. Um, so let's see. Think that's all of the things that we need. So, um, if you're listening and you are tuning into the I Believe podcast, we've just surpassed over 10,000 downloads for the I Believe podcast, which is a huge milestone. Uh, and if you have not subscribed or shared an episode recently, please head to your favorite listening platform, um, make a donation if you can. That does help keep our podcast going. But make sure to share an episode with a friend. Um, and so, with that, we're going to go ahead and bring on Ellie and talk about her story. Hi, thanks so, so much for having yeah. me here. 
No, it's so good to see you. Um, so Ellie is joining us from Massachusetts, and she was actually diagnosed and treated um, just this year, in fact. Um, and actually last year. Actually, it was last year. Um, 2022. But I, I mixed up in one of your dates. Year. Yeah, in the past year, in the past 12 months. But um, we're so excited to have her here. And she actually caught my eye because she shared or, or was featured in an article um, where she shared her story. And the title or the, the words of the story that stuck out to me were like basically worrying didn't save me. Like I got cancer anyway. <laughs> and it just like hit a nerve for me because I'm like, okay, I'm a chronic worrier. What does this mean? Like, I need to understand. And so I shared that article. And if you had a chance to read it, great. If not, you'll be able to find it in the show notes of this episode. Um, or you can also head to her Facebook and I'm sure you'll be able to find it on her page. Um, but Ellie, can you just tell us like what led to your diagnosis to begin with? Yeah. Um, similar to some stories I've heard from other people, I went in for a routine eye exam. I actually, I don't even wear glasses. I have a reading glass uh, prescription. I thought that maybe need to be updated because I work on the computer. So, um, yeah, I just went to um, an optometrist, and uh, he took a look at the back of my eye, dilated me, and said he thought there was something there, um, but to refer me to um, an ophthalmologist a few towns over, um, and he was the one, uh, Dr. Ying in Greenfield, Mass, who basically said, this is most likely what you have. He told me uh, to pack a bag, drive myself right then to the emergency room in Boston at Mass Eye and Ear, which was very alarming to me. And um, yeah, so I got in there pretty quickly because he had called ahead and they confirmed That's like nuts. Yeah. They sent you straight to the emergency room. <laughs> yeah. Like talk about like, okay, like you need to go see this doctor, but now we're going to send you to the ER. And it's like, but am I dying today? Like what's wrong? Yeah. Um, and I have, so when you, when you were in the ER, did they, I mean, did they just finish diagnosing you there or like, what was the purpose behind sending you to the ER specifically? Well, so they, Mass Eye and Ear has, you know, they have a specific department for this, um, specifically for uveal melanoma, retinal melanoma. Mm. Oh, yeah, uveal. Yeah, uveal. And um, so, you know, he wanted someone there who he knew to take a look to make sure. So it was pretty, at that point, it was pretty positive. But then I had to wait three days and go back to Boston and then met with my oncologist I have now, um, Dr. Frances Wu, and she she triple confirmed. <laughs> triple confirmed. But it's weird every well, stage of the way having that small percentage like, well, there's still a chance that it's not that, you know. No, for sure. So um, do you know or do you remember roughly how big your tumor was? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. They, I don't remember the exact um, measurements, but I think medium-sized Okay, so like not like they not like they were like, oh my gosh. No, no, no. <laughs> but they were also they were also concerned enough, like probably based on a few different of the measurements. Um, yes. Which you know, if you haven't listened to some of those episodes on the the um, the podcast, just to help understand about your diagnosis, either you Ellie or just anyone else listening, um, there are like basically specific 
um, measurements that they really take into account, especially when considering the biopsy. And if they can't get a biopsy for whatever reason, um, they take those measurements into account. And that is what largely influences their decision on, you know, how likely is this to have, um, an impact on your life later, as far as metastasis goes. And, uh, that basal diameter, basically, if, if you're, if you're looking at the retina and you're spreading out anywhere that the tumor is touching the retina, that's your basal diameter. And then the thickness is how far out into the hollow part of the eye does it stick? So how far does it, you know, jut out? Mine looks like kind of like a thumbtack or a big old giant nose or something. Um, and then the other one is the other direction. Like the, there's the basal diameter is the longest, like longest one way. And then there's kind of the shorter direction where it's touching. Um, but that basal diameter, it's usually, um, I don't remember what the cutoff is, but I know if it's over 12 or 13 on the basal diameter for millimeters thick, that it's considered large. And if it's under that, then it's considered medium. And then if it's like under two, it's like considered very small. So the small is, and like the medium can be a very wide range. Um, Right. Which can be kind of frustrating because it's like, well, it's not that big, but it's also like, eh, not that small. Right. And all, um, different doctors were saying, oh, it's like small, medium. No, it's medium. It's medium, large. <laughs> like, which one is it? Yeah. Yes. So um, do you mind asking or me asking, how old were you at the time you were diagnosed? I'm 27 now. I was uh, 26. This okay. was in November. November. Okay. Oh, jeez. So then were you treated in December? <laughs> Yes. So end of, end of November, I had, um, surgery to implant a tantalum ring on my retina, um, because I had proton beam, uh, radiation. So, um, yeah, they, they do that there in Boston and they have good results with that. So, um, I had the surgery and then it had to heal for a few weeks. And then the week of December, 12th to the 16th was what I call my radiation vacation. So <laughs> I was in Boston. Radiation <laughs> vacation. So much fun. I was staying in Boston for that week. So let's talk briefly just about your experience with proton beam therapy. Like you had the tantalum rings um, implanted or surgically put on. So was that a surgery that you were like asleep for? And then they just like you woke up and they were done? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I am lucky I've never had I've never been under before. So I was terrified at that part of it. Of course, as a worrier, I was like, of course, I'm um, definitely going to have an allergic reaction to the anesthesia or, you know, making up all these things. It was completely fine. I woke up, you know, feeling okay. I just had, you know, this thing over my eye. And, um, yeah, yeah, it it was like 45 minutes, maybe. Did you like with the tantalum rings, like, is it something that you could feel? Um, or like, was it exceptionally noticeable at first? Yeah. I'd say for at least a week it, it had this sort when I blinked, it's sort of like a, was like a Sandy kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very, very small, but obviously anything in your eye, it's like, you know, you're going to feel it. Um, but now I don't feel it at all. So it's something that's going to be in my eye forever. They don't remove it because there's no need to. Um, yeah. That's super interesting. I didn't, I I think I knew that the ring stayed, but I always was curious, like, well, doesn't that hurt? Like, cause, cause the flip experience of if you have a plaque, right. Plaque is, it's exceptionally uncomfortable if you have a large tumor and depending on the location and it can be exceptionally physically painful for a full week but then they take it out and it doesn't stay in your eye. So right. it's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
the, the proton beam therapy, you have this ring installed or these rings installed, and then you go back and that's your radiation, um, vacation as you called it. (laughs) So what is, what is the process there for you? Or what was the process? Like how many days, how many, how many times a day or how many days a week did you go, um, in order to you know, receive the radiation that you needed? Right. So it was five days consecutively. Um, each day I would go in, I would, I mean, I was in the waiting room for a while, but the being in the actual room was probably, it was like less than 20 minutes each day. And I sat in this chair and there, you know, they had the proton beam, which was, you know, very (laughs) sci-fi and very exciting for my boyfriend. He's into, he's into science. (laughs) So he was into that. Um, and they just had my head basically held in this hard plastic sort of thing so I didn't move at all. Um, and the radiation lasted literally like 60 seconds um, each That's day. That's so crazy. Yeah. So what were you like, what were your side effects throughout this week? Like as you were getting the radiation and it was, you know, cumulatively building in your system. Right. Um, you know, did you, did you have pain? Did you have itchiness? Like what were the side effects you noticed? I had, yeah, I, I, I mean, it really was so minor for me. It was basically like a little bit of soreness, a little bit of itchiness, but that was mostly not from the radiation at all. Cause I didn't feel it at all. I mean, mm. you know, it wasn't like I felt burning or something. Um, it was from the retractors being yeah. on the eyelids. So that, that's the part of that. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that I'm like, I'm sure that would be uncomfortable. I guess that's, you know, 60 seconds and do it, what, five to seven times yeah. throughout the week. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 60, that's seven minutes of time versus like, if you have a plaque, then you're under and you're in surgery for like a straight, who knows right. what exactly it is. Like, I think it probably differs. Too. And then that's two surgeries. So double the time I'm like, okay, I can see, I can see why people would would like the proton beam therapy, like as far as experience goes and maybe soreness goes, but you know, your eyelid is wrenched open while you're awake. So like that also could feel a little like, Ooh. yeah, I have to say uh. it looks scarier than it feels. And you know, your yeah. eyes numb obviously, but it's like, mm. just don't think about it too much. <laughs> I know. Don't think about it too hard. Right. It's very clockwork don't think orange. about it too hard. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, I want to like focus a little more on like what you talked about in your article. Um, Cause I know that a lot of the people in our community deal with anxiety, whether they are, were an anxious person to begin with or have become more anxious. Um, so you mentioned in your article that, you know, worrying didn't end up saving you. You were a chronic worrier and you worried all the time, specifically that you would get cancer and then you got cancer and you're like, well, crap, <laughs> worrying about it didn't do anything for me. So let's talk about like, you know, what, what was kind of the, the feeling behind, um, your initial diagnosis after you had been worried about it for so long. Right. Um, yeah, I, th- I think similarly to other people, like you were saying too, the first like couple weeks, I was just like full on panic. I, you know, I was just like, is this real life? You know, I would wake up and be like, is this real life? Is this really happening? I'm 26. Like what? You know? Um, but you know, as time has gone on and, um, you know, it helps that right now there's no sign of metastasis for me, knock on wood, you know, and, um, my tumor is shrinking at a, you know, slow, but good pace. Um, it's just, it's something I'm 
kind of teaching myself to just uh, <laughs> let go because it, I have to think that there's a reason. <laughs> I'm not, I'm really, I'm not someone who thinks that, you know, there's a reason for everything that happens. But I, I took it as an opportunity to, you know, practice letting go and, you know, to not, you know, what worrying is, is, didn't help me before. It's not going to help me now. Obviously, that's easier said than done. And, you know, it's aspirational. But, and I have moments throughout every day, you know, where I'm like, wait, what if, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, for sure. I don't think yeah. anyone, um, oops, I don't think anyone is exempt from worrying, right? Yeah. I think we all worry about different things at different times of the day and for different reasons. And some of it's cancer related and some of it has nothing to do with cancer. And it's like, did I remember to unplug my straightener after I curled my hair? Like, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. like all of those kinds of little, just those things. Like it's, it's worrying is one of the ways that our brain protects us. Um, and that can be a powerful thing. You know, when you have, um, I actually read a book with my kids recently that's, um, there's these little emotion spot books that I read with my kids and, and there's, you know, the peaceful spot and the calm spot and the happy spot and the anger spot. And it just talks about, you know, what are these different emotions? How do they feel? How do they look? But it also talks about worry, which is kind of an expression of anxiety and that there's good worries and there's spinning worries. And the spinning worries are the ones that really get you nowhere. Like they just spin around in a circle and they grow bigger and bigger sometimes. And they don't accomplish anything. They're not keeping you safe. They are not helping you remember something important. Like they're just constantly spinning in your head. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely relate to that too. Um, you know, with the general anxiety that I've always had, but also OCD, which I've been diagnosed since I was about nine or 10. And it's interesting learning, um, now as a young adult that o OCD, like you can have, it's not just, you know, counting blah, 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 number of things that were doing something, washing my hands for this amount of time a lot of it is about the thoughts and you're saying mm -hmm. it's, it's spiraling thoughts, you know, cause it's, yeah. and it's compulsive. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, what do you feel like are some of the things as you have navigated this first, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months of your diagnosis? Um, what are some of the strategies you've used to cope with this anxiety? Because obviously we know the anxiety hasn't gone away. If anything, some of the anxiety is probably worse because you've now been given this diagnosis and the risk of spread and all the scans. Um, but what do you feel like are some of the strategies you personally use to kind of keep that anxiety manageable? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, um, I'd say for starters, talking out loud about it really helps, you know, to my partner, my boyfriend or therapy, you know, <laughs> therapy really helps. Um, but yeah, talking about it, getting those thoughts out of your head, you know, and then, um, I think it helps to stop the spiral. Um, I also, I do pray a little bit now. I pray in the morning and at night and it, you know, it just gives me a sense of peace um, and when I wake up, I try to, I say a couple things to myself, <laughs> so silly, but I say a couple things to myself that kind of just get me excited to be alive today, you know, do the most with my day. If I, if I'm out, like if I'm doing new things for whatever reason, that makes me feel very good about, you know, about like, I I'm not wasting time. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. 
So let's talk a little. I'm like just skimming through your article again, and I'm like, <laughs> we should talk about this. Um, you called it the radiation vacation, but it wasn't just for a name. Like you actually did some things consciously to make it kind of feel more fun. Because like you said, the radiation portion of it was one minute a day of actual radiation, probably, you know, (laughs) 30 to 30 minutes to an hour of prep and things like that. So, I mean, it was basically in it, maybe an hour of your day. So how did you, um, kind of make the most of that week in Boston that you had to be there for treatment? Yeah, I, um, because we're in Western mass, we're about two hours from Boston. We were staying, I, was able to stay in a hotel there. And actually, what's cool about Boston, because of all the hospitals, they have discounted rates for patients, which is really cool. Um, That's so fun. Yeah. So I was working. (laughs) I was still working. But I tried to take some time for myself to go out and do things and walk down Charles Street, which is like beautiful old shops and... um, yeah, just see, there was a lot to see. And I never really spent a lot of time in Boston, um, you know, for fun. So it, it was fun to see the city like that. No, I love that. And and I mean, I've actually never been to Boston itself. I've been to Philly, um, which I know is where many other people get treated as well. But, right. um, but I mean, Philly, Boston, yeah, and totally they do, different. They do proton beam in, in Philly too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Well, and this makes me want to like reach out to Boston Mass Jedi and just like find someone who can like one of the doctors maybe who can talk on proton beam therapy. Because so we talk a lot about plaque. We talked, we've talked about a nucleation even, um, but we yeah. haven't covered proton beam quite as much. So I'm like happy surprised that you had proton beam therapy because you could talk about it. Yes, and um, I love my doctor. I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> so you well, should have that's her That's awesome. <laughs> and remind me who your doctor is again. Her name's Frances Wu. And she specifically uh, works with patients with choroidal melanoma, which is the retina melanoma. Yes. And in ocular melanoma, that tends to be the more common of it. Like I think there's, there's choroidal and then there's like ciliary body and um, conjunctival and the conjunctival makes up like less than 2% of cases. Um, So the majority of it is that proton or the, not proton beam, (laughs) the choroidal and the, um, I had a choroidal melanoma. Yeah. So choroidal, the way that I like to explain it is that it's kind of like there's a root growing under the carpet and the carpet of your eye is your retina. And it just like eventually broke the surface or like pushed it up and started to separate it. Um, which is obviously not super fun. (laughs) kind of trippy thing is we don't really feel it until they're like, Oh, you need surgery. And you're like, Oh, now I feel it. It is very weird thinking about how we didn't, yeah, we didn't notice it. You know, this thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's mind blowing, mind blowing. I mean, I'm grateful that I didn't feel it, but at the same time, if I had felt it when it was a whole lot smaller than like, yeah, probably would have noticed and gone in. Yeah. Um, yeah. wasn't until I just suddenly lost vision. Like, I mean, you went in for just a normal eye exam and they found it, which is awesome. That's kind of a fluke, honestly, yeah. because most of the time people are going in for something, you know, right. it's because they drastically are losing vision. They are seeing spots, they're seeing flashes, they're seeing specks of dust, like whatever it is, they're seeing something different in one eye and they're like, what is wrong? Yeah. yeah. Um, so just finding it in a routine eye exam is honestly just one of those kind of little miracle situations that we want to be more. We would, we would love if more people just went to a routine eye exam and actually got diagnosed because then they wouldn't get diagnosed when it's way too late yeah. or way, you know, way far progressed as far as yeah. the tumor size and things like that. Um, yeah. And I so, thought I didn't have any symptoms. And then when I went, uh, 
to Boston, I discovered that I did have some bit of a blind spot, but it's amazing how your brain fills well, in. Your brain just fills in the gaps. Exactly. That's all. It's very good at filling in the yeah. gaps. Yeah. So I had no idea. So let's talk about kind of the tail end of your article where you just talked about like, you do try to stay positive. Um, but you said in the back of my mind is always an impending fear that my cancer will spread. So you have scans every six months, right? Is what I heard. Every six months. Yeah. The first one, uh, March, we did, November to March. Yeah. I had it three months in, which was okay. March and that was clear. So then they said, okay, let's do every six months. So my next one is in September. And, and then yeah. did you end up having a castle test or um, an impact genetics test that I, influenced any decisions? No, I didn't have any any tests. I didn't have any biopsy. That was kind of, you know, left up to me, obviously. Um, and there were some pros and cons of it. And I think for me, actually, the biggest thing was that I'm such a worrier. <laughs> So I wasn't sure that that information was going to help me necessarily. Um, and there was oh, some, that makes sense. That's totally valid. Yeah, yeah. And there were some other things that my doctor mentioned that made me think, well, it's actually maybe better not to not to do the biopsy in my case. So, um, well, and there's yeah, and, and we talk about this on we've talked about this with various different professionals on the podcast that there really are very valid reasons to avoid a biopsy when you need to. Um, you know, when the tumor is super, super small or when it's in a very particular place and we don't want to impair vision and there's a higher risk of impairing the vision. And, and so like just trusting your doctors to know, um, that there's going to be a time and a place and that there's, there's risks. And, and ultimately what, what it comes down to is that you as the patient get to decide. Right. Um, and so I think it's really, it's, it's really important to highlight that you made that decision and it was you making it, not your doctor telling you, you have to do this or you should do this. Yeah. Um, and, she's and I really think that's, good with that kind of thing. That's a yeah. really good aspect or, um, what's the phrase I'm thinking of quality, yes. a really good quality to have an doctor is someone who will guide you in the decision-making process, but not influence you. Yes. Um, cause this is such a, I mean, it's, it is a lot of, a lot of decisions, rapid fire decisions to make. Yeah. And I um, think the hard thing about it is, you know, as opposed to certain other cancers, this is like a cancer that this is like, you know, totally new and all new information, you know? Yeah. And it's not like, Oh, you've heard some of this on a movie or you've right. seen this in a TV show. Like nobody's heard of this. Exactly. Like I would love to see them do Grey's anatomy with the uveal melanoma. Like, yes. please somebody, <laughs> like somebody put it out there. So more people know what this is like good grief. Totally. Um, so you talked a little bit in your article about, um, well, I guess my, my first question is how do you feel like you're navigating scans? Like, do you feel like you're doing okay with those so far? Yeah, I think I'm doing okay. Obviously, I'm getting a bit of scanxiety now that I'm leading up to September, but I'm just telling myself it's going to be fine, you know, and I think that's that's probably the best course of action for me right now, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I know another patient who she um, kind of has a similar mindset about it, and she, but she says specifically, like, it might be fine because for her, because she's such a big worrier, she's like, it might be fine is way easier for my brain to believe and to latch onto and to be like, okay, like it might be fine. Like it's, it's just kind of that, that little word change that makes it less of a certainty, but also allows your brain to kind of capture it differently. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think that can be helpful. So, um, what do you feel like has been the hardest part? Like, do you feel like 
the appointments and like just learning all the information has been really difficult or the friends um, not understanding or just like people not knowing what this is, especially because you're so young. Um, what are some of the challenges you faced? I, yeah, I think, I do think that being a 20 something has made this difficult and kind of lonely, you know, in a lot of ways, because first of all, I'm, you know, young to have any kind of cancer. On top of that, it's a cancer nobody ever heard of, you know. So it is hard for my friends to understand, obviously. Um, but I think uh, everyone can probably relate, it, you know, going through this, that it really shows you who your real friends are. <laughs> you know, the people who will, who will reach out to you and then keep checking in on you, you know what I mean, or listen and 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 also learn about it themselves, you know what I mean? So they can, yeah. So, you know, but it is hard, but I really have had a lot of, you know, good positive, um, experiences in Facebook groups. Um, I've made some friends recently who are my age exactly. And were diagnosed last year too. So that's very exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely helps to find people like and find common ground. Yeah. Um, and just find people with stories like you. Yes, yes. And and I have to say it's – and to hear your story also about metastasis, I think, really sets my mind at ease and does help with the scan anxiety, you know, telling myself it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? It's, it's sometimes – There still is a lot of hope. Yeah, yeah. And preparing a little bit and – Putting it in perspective really, really does help. Yeah, no, it does. It does make a big difference. Um, so, I feel like we're we are coming to the close of the time that I have for now because I got to go pick up my kids. But um, this has been so good to let you chat and just um, I want to encourage you guys if you're listening and you haven't read Ellie's article that she had that was featured on HeyAlma.com. I will drop that link on the Facebook page um, and also um, it'll be in the show notes of this episode. But one of the things you, you mentioned is that like, even though worrying, obviously like you, you mentioned, um, that you, I, uh, I guess I don't really know the, the right phrase for this, but you said like, if it wasn't for me being a hypochondriac that you wouldn't have gone for a regular eye exam. And so while yes, worrying maybe obsessively wasn't the smartest thing for your, you know, your stress levels or things like that. And I can see just from what we've talked about that you're probably working on that just to try to reduce your own stress in your life, um, which I applaud. I think that's amazing, but it is such a powerful thing that you did find this on a routine eye exam, not because you had symptoms, not because the tumor was making you go blind. You found it because maybe you were a little extra paranoid, but like in this case, it was a really good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I love really that you reflected that, actually. on yeah. that, like kind of the gift of that, you know, maybe that the gift of that obsessive compulsion to find and, and see if anything is wrong with you. It turned out to actually find something that was really important information to find at the time that you did. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really powerful. Balance is important. <laughs> Balance. Yes. Balance is important. Yeah. Well, Ellie, if you were to talk to, let's just say somebody else who's listening, who's 20 something, they're finding out about this diagnosis. Um, what would you say is your one like main piece of advice that you would give them as they're like just learning about all of this? I think it's, you know, to, the main thing that really helped me at first too is finding other people who've gone through this, you know, to talk to them because that really helped. I actually, it was very, um, 
really unusual, but my boyfriend's aunt had this exact same diagnosis. And so I had her to talk to. Um, That's yeah, mind blowing. Very, really? very unusual. Yeah. Really coincidental. And so that really helped me through those first few weeks. And then I think after that, it's just feeling like, let, let it change your perspective, you know, in a positive way about, you know, the rest of your life. You, Cause you have, you have the opportunity to do that. You can, you know, you can control how you, um, you know, look at things. Yeah. Just how you move forward. Um, exactly. ultimately that is, that is a decision. Like once we get through the treatment and we're through the kind of craziness of the first month, or maybe we could argue the first three months, um, once you get through that point, it's that conscious decision to say, okay, I have this, this is a part of my life and I'm going to live with it. Yeah. I'm going to live in spite of it. Yes. Um, I think that that, that makes such a big difference in how patients are able to navigate and the ones who thrive are the ones who are able to just both embrace it and also set it aside and just let it go and let it be. Um, it's kind of like that funky duality of like you, you accept what it is and it's definitely a part of your life, but you're also not like obsessing over it all the time and worried about it constantly because you're too busy living your life yeah. <laughs> and that's too important to you to compromise with too much worrying and too much of, you know, the anxiety and the stress that comes with fear. Um, so I think, I think that's really powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Ellie, if people want to find you on Facebook, um, are they, you know, able to find you and can I put that in the show notes as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I will link your Facebook and then I think I linked your Instagram, but I'll link it again. Okay. Um, and so patients, anyone who's coming across this diagnosis, who just wants to connect with someone who is like Ellie, she is more than happy to connect with you. And like she said, um, that's one of the most powerful things that you can do with this diagnosis is just find somebody else. Um, cause it can be very lonely. And especially if you're younger, um, I mean, it's very lonely regardless, but if you're younger and you just, this is like a total blindside, like you never expected anything like this. Like it is very powerful to be able to talk to someone in the same phase of life. So yeah, thank you so much for being with me, Ellie. Thank this was great. Thank you so much, Danae. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I hope you have a good day. Bye you guys. Too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.